Good evening, everybody. The Lord bless you. I welcome you to this evening's broadcast. May the Lord be gracious to you and keep you. May the Lord watch over you and your families, defend you, protect you, cover you, and provide for you, especially in these very hard times because of the COVID. I know many people have lost their jobs, many people's businesses are struggling and barely surviving, but the Lord is good. Uh, we can trust only on Him, and I know that He will, he will fight our cause, and I know uh, the Lord is the one who will take this pandemic out of our sphere around us, around the world. Uh, he's the one who will uh, even allow medics and scientists to find a cure for it when it has served his purpose. In my looking at it, I have found that sometimes God allows these things so that he can be glorified, he can be exalted, he can be lifted up, and he can uh, accomplish his purposes and I think this uh, pandemic has drawn us closer to God, has caused us to pray more, has threatened our survival and therefore we have had to run back to him. Uh, it is very unfortunate that some people have passed on because of this pandemic and we continue to pray for their families, that the Lord will encourage them, that the Lord will watch over them, that the Lord will show them goodness. Because He alone can do these things. We may not understand everything, because on this side of the world, we know things in part. But when we go to the other side, we shall know everything, even as we are known, according to what Paul says in the epistle of Corinthians. That now we see things as if we are veiled. But a time is coming when we shall see completely. And we are praying, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. When we have done the work you've given us so that you can take us to be with you. I pray that uh, the Lord strengthens you. The Lord shows you his mercy and love. May you share this link to other friends, families that may need to understand this basic doctrines of a Christian so that we may have a foundation and that we may be able to handle the things that are coming. By the time we deal with end times, uh, I'm praying that the Lord will have given us a spiritual formation that can uh, faithfully trust Him, serve Him, live for Him and glorify Him.
So the Lord is good. Invite people to watch parties so that we can continue to grow together. And I want us to pray. Today we will go back to some scriptures we've looked at. Uh, today I want to start from Psalms 119, verse 105. And then I will look at a few others from Psalms 119. Psalms 119 talks about the Word of God. From verse 1 to the last verse, which is 150, I think, 2. 152, yes. 152. And... Uh, you can learn a lot of profound things about the Word of God. There are many other scriptures that talk about the Word of God. Uh, uh, Jeremiah has talked about the Word of God being like a hammer, uh, like a fire, like a hammer, like a soul. Uh, uh, Hebrews talks of it being active and uh, powerful and sharper than any double-edged sword. And... Uh, John chapter 1 talks of the word of God being with God and being God and it becoming flesh, meaning the word of God is Christ. Genesis talks about the word of God creating, uh, being the power of creation, working together with God the Father who spoke it and God the Holy Spirit who executed it. Uh, uh, Romans talks about the word of God being... Uh, the power of God for salvation. Yeah, the gospel, the good news of Christ, which is the word of God, especially the New Testament, being the power of God unto salvation. Uh, the book of Romans also talks uh, uh, of the word of God as uh, a way through which faith comes. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when you interact with the word of God, you are building your faith. When you pray, you're building up your faith. When you pray in, 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 in other tongues, you're building yourself and building faith. Most holy faith. Jude talks about it uh, as most holy faith. Uh, so the word of God is very paramount. It is important to uh, um, Christian growth. And so I encourage you to go to it. Uh, let us say a word of prayer. And then delve into uh, today's lesson and the Lord will bless us. Everlasting Father, King of glory, uh, God of wonders, God of miracles and God of signs. You who is able to do all things because you are all powerful, all knowing and you're present everywhere. So when we pray for someone who is far from us, that very person is not very far from you because your presence is everywhere on the face of the earth and in the heavens, under the earth, in the seas, even up to Hades, your presence is there, O Lord. We thank you because you're the creator of heaven and earth, and you had a purpose when you created the heavens and the earth, and everything that you created in both the heavens and the earth, uh, uh, you had a purpose for every uh, creature. And Lord, we know that you can continue to help us through the process of salvation, sanctification, uh, to find our purpose while we still live today so that we can serve it in our generation like David served in his generation. And by the time we sleep or die uh, or Jesus Christ comes, we will have served our generation uh, the way you desire us to serve. One way of discovering your will for our lives is by your word because your word is a love letter, is an instruction 
is a guidance, is a constitution of the kingdom of God. And therefore, it tells us how we need to live, how we need to treat one another, how we need to work for you and what we need to do in various callings and places that you've called us, mighty God. Every, everything we do, every career we have, it is a calling of the Lord. And if we find our way uh, through it and in, incorporate our destiny and our purpose, then we can serve the Lord in a way that he will be pleased. We thank you, mighty God, our Father, because you also are all-powerful and therefore healing us is within your business and you're well able to do it. And there's nothing that is impossible with you. You can heal cancer. You can heal uh, any other disease, mighty God, our Father, that comes your way. You can even heal this uh, pandemic and uh, you can ease the people who are going through uh, uh, the struggle because of this pandemic, either because they have been infected and they are sick or their loved ones are, or because their businesses are struggling or they have lost their jobs, Lord. All these matters, mighty God, our Father, we know that our governments may not be able to sort out all our problems, but you can solve every problem uh, that we bring to you. The book of Jeremiah says, uh, is there anything too hard for you? And we declare there is nothing too hard. You say in the book of Matthew that there is nothing that is impossible with you. Whatever we bring your way, Lord, you're well able to do. And therefore, Lord, we lift every family. For those who need protection against this pandemic, Lord, we ask that you raise a hedge of protection, a hedge of fire, a hedge around them, mighty God our Father, that, Lord, they will be kept safe by your power and by your glory, even though they are required to still follow every instruction that has been given, because we do not negate our, 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 our work or rights so that we can ride on your, your soul, mighty God. You combine yours with what we are supposed to do, mighty God our Father. If we give you everything and do nothing, then we become lazy, but we are called to be co-workers with you. So in this pandemic, our co-working is to make sure we are not exposing ourselves, we are cleaning ourselves the way we ought to, we are wearing our masks, and then we leave everything else to you. Because nothing is 100% except your power, mighty God, our Father. And therefore, Lord, I also pray for those who are sick, that your healing hand and your healing virtue will come down from heaven and touch each person wherever they are, in their sick beds at home, in their sick beds at hospital wards, high dependency, and even in ICUs. Those who are on ventilators and uh, uh, oxygen, mighty God, our Father, it is your hand we request to touch the mighty God, our Father. And those who have been bereaved because of this uh, pandemic and any other causes, mighty God, our Father, be it an accident or disease, mighty God, our Father, Lord, we pray by your Holy Spirit, the Comforter, you are going to comfort every family, mighty God, our Father, you will give them strength to surmount this uh, sadness that has come their way, O oh God. You cause many men and women to stand with them shoulder to shoulder to support them, mourning with those who mourn and rejoicing with those who rejoice. Mighty God, our Father, we thank you because we know you have a wonderful plan in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Now, as we go into your word, we invite the Holy Spirit, the author of your word, to come and interpret it to us that we may learn a new thing, one or two things, mighty God, our Father, that may help us even in these days for the glory and honor of your name. In Jesus' mighty name, we thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Now, let us go to uh, the Word of God. 
Let us go to the Word of God. I said we are starting with Psalms 119, verse 105. And the Bible reads, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I recommend you read the whole scripture uh, of Psalms 119, the whole chapter, and you will see a few other things. Now, if you want to know the path that God wants you to, to, to walk on, you need to go to the Word of God so that it can illuminate that path. It can illuminate uh, uh, your, 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 your walking. Uh, I, I thank God because He gave us the Word to be a lamp to our feet so that we do not stumble, we do not fall, and our path will be lit, and we can see clearly what happens. So the Word of God is like a torch, and it is shining on our paths. I want to welcome a servant of the Lord, Stephen Kemanthi, a fellow servant, a pastor, uh, serving God in various places. Uh, he has his church in uh, a place in Nairobi. I want to thank God for, uh, I see, is it Ken Mogano? Uh, welcome uh, and be with us. I, wa I want to thank uh, another servant of the Lord, uh, a son to one of the veterans of the gospel called Abednego Morandu. We know of uh, his father, Maurice Morandu, who used to be, uh, I think, in Pefa one time. And right now he's leading a very big ministry here in Nairobi. We thank God for all of them. Let me read some other few scriptures. I want to go to verse 89 of Psalms 119. And I want to read it because it will be relevant to us as we continue to, to, to study uh, uh, the doctrine of the Word of God. Uh, Psalms 119 verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. And we used to sing a song that used to say, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven, it is settled. That is a very profound scripture that tells us that the word of God is settled in heaven. When God created the heavens and the earth, he uh, uh, prepared the word and settled it in heaven. By the time we are receiving it, it, it doesn't mean it was invented then. You see, God planned everything uh, while he was uh, planning creation. So he knew his word would come at a certain point. He knew Christ would come at a certain point, And so he prepared everything. That's why we read that there, in the book of Revelation that the Lamb of God, who is Jesus Christ, was sacrificed before the foundations of the earth. So it means Jesus Christ dying on the cross and being buried and uh, uh, resurrecting after three days uh, was plan A. All the other things God did were plan B and C. And why did God do plan B, C and D and all the others that he did? Uh, like preparing a nation, preparing uh, uh, the law and, and, and telling people to observe them and follow those uh, uh, rituals very closely and they will have their own salvation. Uh, uh, Paul tells us the law was not bad in itself for it exposed our weaknesses, it exposed our sin, it exposed our fallen nature. Therefore, God brought things that first would show us the need for Christ so that when he comes we know we really need him because we will have tried 
all our ways and failed. You see, uh, even today I hear people saying God helps those who help themselves. I, I want to tell you clearly, God does not help those who help themselves. God helps those who cannot help themselves. God helps those who need him. God helps those who know their state, know that they cannot, know that they are fallen, know that they have no power, and therefore depend on his power. If you think you're standing, then it is likely that you will fall because you're trusting in the arm of flesh. You're trusting in yourself. You're trusting in another man and those will fail you. There is no man who can save another man. We can only preach to you about a man who can save you, the man called the mediator, Christ Jesus. I don't preach that I can help you and save you. I only preach that I know a man who can help you and save you because I cannot help you. You cannot help yourself. Only Jesus can. So the word of God is settled in heaven and uh, there's no other way it can be. Let me read uh, still in Psalms 119. I want to read uh, 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 verse 9. And then I will may jump uh, to verse 11. Verse 9 says, Wherewithal, or how, that, that's, that's an old English of uh, King James, wherewithal means how shall a young man cleanse his way or walk in purity? Because uh, if you read other uh, uh, translations, it says, how can a man, uh, how can a young man walk? in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you want not to sin against God, hide the word of God in your heart. The Bible says that uh, thy word have I hidden in mine heart that I may not sin against you. That's why Paul encouraged the church by saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you let the word of God dwell in you richly, you will not sin against God. So those were the scriptures I wanted us to look at. Today we're asking ourselves a question. Is the Bible truly God's word? Is the Bible truly God's word? Now, there is a... Uh, uh, a creed called the Apostles' Creed. It gives us the statement of faith. All right? Statement of faith. And that statement of faith is supposed to be a personal statement of faith for each person. You, if you don't believe in the Word of God, and if you don't believe that the Word of God is true, uh, uh, is truly the Word of God, then you lose the basis of your faith. You must believe in the word of God. And one day we shall look at simple places of the word of God. Let me read a statement right here uh, uh, from a document I have been trying to put together. This is the belief in the word of God that all scripture, both in the Old and New Testament, are inspired by God through revelation to man as infallible authoritative rule of faith and conduct. Okay? So, infallible means it cannot be changed. It cannot be uh, 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 
muted by anything. And I know there are some religions that accuse Christianity to have the word of God uh, that it was changed, that it is not the original word, that it is not uh, 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 the way it was supposed to be. Men have added their own thing. But I can tell you for sure, if you buy a Bible that has input that is not of God, you will clearly know by your spirit when it is not true. And I need to continue uh, reading and uh, that it is authoritative, that it is the rule, the law of God f for faith and for conduct. It tells us things we need to believe in and things we need to act out because it is the law of God. It is the constitution of God. If God judges you, he will not judge you uh, outside his scriptures because scriptures have told you everything about what sin is and who God is and what God has done for you. So God will judge you from this very constitution. All right. And any accusation the enemy can take before the throne of God. And because the enemy takes accusation before God every single day and night. He takes accusation against you as based on the constitution of God. Because in the courts of heaven, we have God as the judge. And he is the ultimate judge of everything. And then we have Christ Jesus at this moment, not judging, but being an advocate for his people. And then Satan is the prosecutor, is the, uh, uh, the lawyer who brings a case against you. Prosecutor, prosecutor, prosecutor. Even in Kenya, we have a DPP, the one who prepares a file to take to court so that you can be arrested and be brought to court to answer the charges. And that's why if you murder, it is not the people who will take you to court. It is the state that will take you to court and DPP will prepare a file with evidence of what you have done. All right? Because murder is a capital offense and it is against the state, not even the people you've done. Those are secondary. And so that's what Satan does. Satan has uh, a monitoring spirit that go around everybody, both believers and unbelievers. And they collect evidences of what they have done against the law of God, where they have transgressed, where they have crossed their boundaries, where they have uh, uh, broken uh, a, a law by disobedience. And then he takes them to heaven. And then he goes and charges before God that so-and-so needs to be punished. And your word says the punishment of this sin is this. Uh, uh, because the, the end of any sin is death. But there are so many things that need to be done even before you die. Uh, uh, you, you remember when Adam sinned, he lost his sensitivity to God. He lost his uh, spiritual life. And he lost his place in the garden of Eden. He lost uh, his communion with God. Uh, don't imagine it will be different in this age. Once you sin, you lose your communion with God. And first of all, you start fearing God. You want to run away from God. And that's what Adam did when he sinned. He ran away and hid. Uh, uh, and then you lose the joy uh, of your salvation. David told us in Psalms 51, that he was begging God to return the joy of salvation because the moment you sin, you lose it because a guilt conscious comes to you and begins to judge you. And that is a very serious place. You can even become depressed and maybe even 
uh, uh, lose your life out of that depression. And then, uh, 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 so Satan begins to tell God, allow me to go and uh, execute uh, uh, punishment and judgment and, uh, and, and harass this person because they have fallen away from you and they have broken uh, uh, the hedge that was protecting them. And sometimes if you don't go back to God in repentance, he's allowed to do those things. Eventually, the last thing that happens is that if you don't repent and by chance you pass away or Christ comes back, then you will stand before the white great throne to be judged uh, uh, and be rewarded each person according to what they have done. So that, that, that is it. And so that's why we are saying it is authoritative. Uh, it is authoritative rule of faith and conduct. The Holy Spirit guided men of God in all that they wrote. They did not write anything they wanted. They wrote what God wanted. And there are a few scriptures we will look uh, uh, that are mentioned there. That the whole book called the Bible has no error in the original writings. And that it teach, its teaching and authority is absolute, supreme and final. There is nothing else that is above the word of God in the life of a believer and in the kingdom of God because it is the constitution of the kingdom of God. So, for instance, in Kenya, the only law that judges you is the constitution we gave ourselves in 2010. But in heaven and on earth and in the kingdom of God, you are only judged not by what people think, what people say, what demon want, or what Satan wants. You are judged by the word of God according to how you behaved towards it. I want us to look at the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy. Uh, chapter 4. Deuteronomy 4. And verse 1. And verse 1. Now therefore hearken, O Israel, to the statutes or the laws or the word of God unto the judgments which I teach you for to do them that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord your God and the God of your fathers gives you. So there were laws that were expected to live. Now the word of God may not be holding us to any laws, as we may think, like in the Old Testament, but is still the law of God, and it guides us and shows us ways to live and to do. Hallelujah. Look at First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians in chapter 2 and verse... 13, it says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually works also in you 
that believe. So you see, when you receive the word of God as it is the word of God, then it becomes effectual to work within you. But if you don't believe it, then you lose the ability of the word of God helping you. Now, let us look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. And it says, Who by him do believe in God that raised up from the dead and... No, I don't think that is what it wants to say. Let me see. It is Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 21 and verse 21 Aha, it says for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than ever than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandments delivered to them. So you need to know the word of God, hold first to the commandments and not turn away from any of them. You can look at also at 2 Timothy chapter 3, 15 to 17, which is a paramount scripture that I would like us to look at because that one is a very important scripture to us and it says from verse 15 and that from a child you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness that the, that that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished to all good works. You see what that scripture is telling us? Very important. Now, let us go back to what we were looking at. So, is the Bible truly the word of God? Our answer to this question will not only determine how we view the Bible and its importance to our lives, but also it will ultimately have an eternal impact on us. If the Bible is truly the word of God, then we should cherish it, study it, obey it, and fully trust it. If the, word of God, if the Bible is the word of God, then to diminish is to diminish God himself. Because we are told in John chapter 1 and verse 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So God is equal to His Word. Why? Because God stands by His Word. God does not mince His words. What He says, He will do. The Bible says in Numbers 23 and verse 19, that God is not a man that He should lie. Neither is He a son of man that He should change His mind about what He has said. Has He said anything and not fulfilled it? So whatever God says in his word, no, it will come to pass. No matter how long it takes, no matter who believes it or does not believe it. When God says there will be an end of the world, when God says Christ will come back to judge every creature, then you better take it at that value. You can take that word and take it to the bank because one day 
One day, Christ is coming soon. And he is going to do exactly what the Bible says. The fact that God gave us the Bible is an evidence and illustration of his love for us. That's why I said the Bible is a love letter from a lover to his bride or fiancé or whatever the case may be. Uh, and he's telling the fiancé his expectation, his love for the fiancé, that he's willing to give up his own life for her, that he is willing to shed his blood to pay for her penalty, and that he has prepared a place for her uh, 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 in his father's place uh, or his compound. You see, Jesus was using a, a figurative language that was used in the proposal of the Jews in chapter 14 of the book of John. It is said that when a young man went out and saw a beautiful girl, he did not approach her, he did not speak to her, he rushed quickly to his father to say he has seen a lady he would like to marry and make her uh, uh, the bride and the wife. Then the father would now call a party of elders and they would go to the family of the girl. After investigating the family of the girl, their character, their lives, their, their health matters because they checked whether there was a, a case of madness, uh, a case of murderers, a case of uh, uh, other things that were not acceptable in the land of Israel. And if they were satisfied, then they would go to uh, the girl's place. And when they went to this girl's place, what they would do is they would carry... Uh, 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 wine, red wine from the, the grapes and then they would go with a young man and they would say, young man, which girl is this that you saw in this house that you'd like to marry and make your wife? Uh, by that time the parents have accepted that the family that has come for the young man is also good and they have accepted that they can allow their daughter to get married. But they did not give the daughter unless she accepted. So what the young man would do is pour wine in a, in a, in a, in a vessel. I, I, I don't know what kind of vessels they were using. Maybe uh, uh, the golden vessels, silver vessels made in, uh, in a way that we can see in the old movies about the kings drinking wine. They used to drink with metal. Uh, they looked like glasses. Eh? They looked like the flute, the wine flutes. Uh, and he would pour uh, uh, wine and take uh, a piece of uh, uh, their bread, the bread they baked there, and serve the girl. And if the girl took the wine and the bread, ate the bread and drank the wine, it means she has accepted. She doesn't have to say any words. So now the son would stand and say that, you know, my father, he's a wealthy man in the land of Israel. He is known very well in this area. And because you know him and you know his wealth, his power, then believe in me who is the son of that very man. I go to my father's place to prepare a house for you. And when I'm done, I'll come and get married to you and take you. So that where I am, you can also be. Now, uh, that's exactly what Jesus said. And Jesus did, because he told us, you believe in the Father, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, 
because if her father was not rich, the son had to say clearly, my father is not rich, but I will find a way to make a house for us because even the poor people still got married. And now uh, the lady would accept the proposal and from that day on, she would wear what we call the, the bride's gown. And for the rest of the time, as the young man prepares a place for the bride, she would continue changing her clothes into other wedding gowns. And if she was found not wear the gown, the young man would completely break the, the engagement, which was almost like a divorce because engagement by the Hebrews was very different. But I'm not talking about that process. I'm talking about the word and how Jesus put it. Uh, so she was supposed to be in her marriage gown throughout until the young man finishes to build. And when he finishes to build, he invites the father to inspect. And if the father feels the house is up to standard of his uh, reputation, then he would allow the young man to go and pick the bride. But if he thought it was not, then he would tell the young man what he needs to do to rectify that building to that level. And once he's given a go-ahead, the young man would appear at the girl's place without announcing, like a thief in the night. That's why Jesus said he's coming like a thief in the night. So the bride is the one to prepare themselves so that any time, any day, any hour he comes, he will find the bride ready. And that is the church. Now, Jesus made the proposal for us physically after saying the words in John 14, on the day he served the Last Supper. The Last Supper. He brought bread and he brought wine. He was engaging the church because the first church was the twelfth. So he engaged them. And by extension, when we believe in the gospel they preach, then we are also engaged with them. So we need to begin preparing ourselves and wearing our wedding gowns, gowns of righteousness, gowns of salvation, so that when he comes, he finds us ready with the gowns, ready to get married to the, uh, the, the son of the living God. Hallelujah. Very interesting. And so... Uh, Jesus said he will never drink of the fruit of the vine again until that day when we drink in the presence of God the Father in the marriage supper of the Lamb that is found in Revelation chapter 19. And that tells us Jesus will have come like a thief in the night. He will have caught up the church, a glorious church, a powerful church, a church that is not miserable, a church that is not beaten up, a church that is not scared of the devil, a church that is not running away, but a church that is made itself ready for the, for the Lamb of God and for the marriage uh, uh, of, of the church and the Lamb of God. And he said he will come like a thief in the night and he will find two people in bed and he will take one and the other one will be left. He'll find two people in the field. He'll take one and the other one will be left. Uh, he says uh, 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 that's how it shall be. And I want to pray that we, even if we have found five of us, all of us will be ready and will be caught up together with Christ. Uh, because there is a day the Lord will come uh, uh, like a thief in the night and he will come with a shout of an archangel and with the trumpet of the Lord 
and he will uh, raise the dead who died in him and he will catch up together the ones who are alive and remaining because in a twinkling of an eye he will change their physical bodies into a resurrection body and he will take them uh, for the marriage supper of the Lamb in the heavenlies and there will be there wild havoc is being uh, uh, meted over the people of the earth by the Antichrist. Uh, by that time, the church will be celebrating the marriage supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah. And I know for sure that the Lord will not allow us to go through the killings and the pains. Uh, that is reserved for those who have backslidden. That is reserved for those who heard and never believed. That is reserved for those who did not believe when Christ came for the first time, so that they can also be given a chance of salvation. But it is not easy because either they take the mark of the beast and be killed uh, uh, or, or refuse and be killed uh, to buy their own salvation. Uh, and then they'll be joining the marriage supper of the Lamb. Some will come when we are almost ready to come back to earth because we are told that when the, the marriage supper of the Lamb is over, then Christ will come down with his saints, uh, and there will be multitudes upon multitudes that cannot be numbered. And they will be riding on horses, and Christ will be riding on a white horse, and he will come back to earth, and he will set his feet on Mount of Olive, and he will deliver Israel from the, the battle of Armageddon, and then uh, he will bind uh, uh, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and throw them in the lake of fire. The devil will be chained for a thousand years, and then the saints will rule with him for a thousand years. That is eschatology. I'm not going to that. But I want to show you how the word of God has given us illustration. When you read this thing, then you realize you're engaged to the son of God. You cannot believe the way you want to live. You cannot behave the way you want to behave. You have to behave in a way that you will be pleasing to your fiancé, the son of the living God, the one who is coming to get married to you, the one who desires to spend eternity with you. Amen. The fact that God gave us the Bible, we have said is evidence and illustration of his love for us. Love letter and engagement. And that's why I went to that process of engagement to show you Jesus really did engage us. And Jesus has said that the husband should love the wife even as Christ loved the church. And he loved the church to a point of giving himself for her. That's why there is always an analogy that is given of the relationship between the church and Christ with marriage between a husband and wife. It is compared that way because the process is the same. Amen. And amen. The term revelation simply means that God communicated to mankind what he is like and how we can have a right relationship with him. So that's why he gave a, real, uh, a revelation. And that's why he breathes in the word so that when we read it, we can catch the revelation. And we can understand how God is, that God is holy. And he asks that we should be holy even as he is holy. And that he desires to have a, revel, uh, a relationship with us. That's why John uh, chapter 4 and verse 23 and 4, he says that a time is coming and now is. When those who truly worship God will worship him in spirit and in truth. And then he says, God is seeking for those who will uh, 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 worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. For such is what God is seeking. Now, 
that is what we are told by the word and from genesis we see the nature of god the times that god dealt with man and how god interacted with man so that we can understand him so that we can know him uh, you see it is interesting that these this bridegroom has sent you his resume has sent you his character has sent you his his his, his whole thing about himself so that you know who you're preparing to get married to so interact with the word and you will continue to know these things these are the things that we could not have known had god not divinely revealed them to us in the bible although god's revelation of himself is in the bible uh, was given progressively over an approximately 1500 years Yeah so the bible was revealed within a whole thousand and five hundred years and 40 different people received the revelation and put it together so that we can and those among 40 some wrote more books like Moses wrote five Paul wrote a number of uh, epistles and we know some other people wrote different things uh, uh, different uh, letters like Peter wrote two uh, John wrote uh, three letters Uh, plus the gospel and 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 so on and so forth and that's why there 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 are 40 people who wrote f- uh, uh, f- 66 books very important for us to 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 understand that it has always contained everything man needs to know about god in order to have a right relationship with him apart from this bible you need nothing else of course god will speak audibly Uh, with a still small voice sometimes with a loud voice sometimes with nature and through nature and uh, sometimes he inspires a word through people because he's continuing to interpret this word sometimes some places unless you're given interpretation you cannot understand what god is saying and therefore god through the holy spirit keeps on interpreting it so that we understand if the bible is truly the word of god then it is the final authority for all matters of faith religious practice and morals there's nothing else you see just like we say salvation is through christ alone nothing else can be added to it uh, uh, yes we have people writing books that explain principles are uh, rema word from the bible but those books do not replace the bible actually those books are read and are judged through the bible yes you can read other books written by men of god women of god that are written by people who had an encounter with god they help you to understand the bible better but they don't replace, uh, replace the bible i have heard of some people who have gone to an extent of saying that they judge the bible by what their pastor said or what the pastor wrote uh, that that is error that is error that is error there's no man who will have better revelation than what god has put out there for us the question we must ask ourselves is however uh this how can we know that the bible is the word of god and not just a good book that's a very good question yeah how can we know for sure that this is the word of god and not just another good book written by genius minds what is unique about the bible that sets it apart from other religious books ever written is there any evidence that the bible is truly god's word <clears throat> these types of questions 
must be seriously examined <coughs> if we are to determine the validity of the, uh, of the Bible's claim to be the very word of God, divinely inspired and totally sufficient for all matters of faith and practice. There can be no doubt that the Bible does claim to be the very word of God. This is clearly seen in Paul's commendations to Timothy. From infancy, you have known the holy, the word holy there emphasizes scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he continues to say, all scripture is God breath and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Many people wonder how they can do good works. Just read the word of God and let it give you wisdom. You see, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the fear of the Lord means that you will shun evil and you will follow God's laws. You will follow God's recommendation. You will follow God's leading. You will follow God's grace. Because the, well, the, the grace of God has been revealed to all men, teaching them to say no to ungodliness. So grace teaches. And grace teaches you through the word of God. By getting this Bible is grace of God. If God deciding to give you his, his word... Uh, his statues, uh, his uh, scriptures that can give us wisdom is the grace of God to just have the Bible, to hold it. And actually I say we are privileged in this age because we have the full Bible. By the time the disciples lived, they did not have the New Testament. They only had the Old Testament. Yet they their lives became the writings of the New Testament. Uh, and for us, we are walking while we have the full Bible. And we need to look at it that way. So how can we know that the word of God is true? One, one of the things I can say before we continue is that 1,500 years of continuous progressive writings that agrees from beginning to the end without contradicting one another, that shows you the hand of God. It also uh, tells us that... Uh, the fact that there were leaders, political leaders, who wanted to destroy the word of God, yet it is survived all those many years that have passed. And today we have this Bible sitting in front of us. We see the hand of God. The fact that the Hebrews were passed all over the world and uh, they did not lose their original language and therefore when these scrolls are found eventually these people can read and help us to know how to translate them it means uh, 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 there was a hand of god in it uh, you you are told that scrolls were found in the dead sea the dead sea is this salty water that is so salty that uh, nothing lives in it uh, i wonder what would have happened if that water had entered where those 
scrolls were kept, they would have been destroyed. So God held the sea away from the scrolls, meaning the hand of God was in it. Uh, many times we have heard of scriptures trying to be banned. Uh, and even the book of uh, uh, Jeremiah talks of one time when a king was given a scroll and he tore it and burnt it. Uh, and Jeremiah was able to recite it again for Baruch to write it down. That just tells you the hand of God was in it. So all those things are telling us something very important. There are both internal and external evidences that the Bible is truly God's word. The internal evidences are those things within the Bible that are written there that show us no man would have been able to sit down and write these things. Many of the other religious books have been copied from the Bible. Some books are 80% the Bible, meaning they picked the things they thought would help them. And 20% is their own interpretation. And that is very important for us to understand. Uh, one of the first internal evidence that the Bible is truly the word of God is seen in its unity. I said uh, the Bible was written over 1,500 years and it was written by 40 people. And then we see the unity of everything written and everything of it tying together and everything prophesied happening in the New Testament like the coming of Christ that was spoken about by a prophet like Isaiah 720 years before Christ uh, 400 years for Jeremiah yet they prophesied something that came and happened exactly as they had said you see when when uh, when uh, uh, a prophet was saying uh, a voice was heard in Rama uh, Rachel uh, wailing for her children refusing to be comforted he did not know that there would be a herod who would order for children to be killed 2 years and below male but he saw in the spirit of that thing and when it happens then they say they, it happened that way so that it may fulfill a scripture that was written by the prophet Jeremiah saying, and then they quote it, because now it has united with something written in the New Testament many thousands of years after. Even though it is really 66 individual books written on three continents, it was not written in Israel, Bible was written in three continents. <laughs> and we can look at that and see uh, one of the continents is the Middle East and then there was uh, Asia 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 Minor and then there was Africa and, and we can look at that later and it was written in three different languages over a period of approximately 1,500 years by more than 40 men and you know the original bible like we said la, uh, last monday was written in basically three uh, languages uh, uh, one is hebrew the other one is aramaic and the other one is greek then it was trans translated first into latin but we still see the consistency the unity the agreement of scriptures and that shows you the hand of god and the 40 others came from many walks of life. And we looked at uh, that on Monday. We said there were kings, there were prophets, 
there were priests and there were uh, fishermen, there were farmers, uh, everyday people. But all of them wrote, and you can be sure, some were more educated than others, and others were less educated. Uh, for instance, uh, most of the disciples of Christ were less educated. That's why when they answered uh, 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 Peter and John when they were called, and the Sanhedrin realized that these people were unschooled, yet they saw how they spoke, they were amazed at how these people could have spoken that way because they were unschooled. So, so you look at uh, someone like Peter who was unschooled and he wrote uh, two letters in the, in the, in the Bible, First and Second Peter, and many others like that. Many were young, others were old. Uh, we know John was uh, around 17 years when he was walking with Jesus. So he writes the whole Gospel of John and... What we see. Then they, we had people who were educated uh, highly in law, like Paul, who was a Pharisee. And then we had others who were king, like David and Solomon, who wrote uh, Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and Songs of Solomon. Those who were kings. Then we have uh, people like priests, uh, Zechariah, the writer of the book of Zechariah, as a, uh, as a minor prophet, uh, was a priest. And we know uh, he's the father of John and he was the one who was ministering in the temple when the angel came to tell him about John. And then we know he lost his, uh, his, his voice right there. That tells you that people from different walks of life over a period of 1,500 years, 40 to be precise, wrote something that agreed and united completely from beginning to the end. And we can see the plan of God, the love of God and all this. This unity is unique from all other books and is evidence of the divine origin of the words which God moved men to record. We know that sometimes even people write books and their own books don't agree themselves and they are written by one person. Because tomorrow you wake up from another level of thinking and you write something else that is not agreeing with what you wrote yesterday. Another of the internal evidence that indicates the Bible is truly God's word is the prophecies, the prophecies contained within its pages. The Bible contains hundreds of detailed prophecies relating to the future of individual nations, including Israel, certain cities and mankind. Other prophecies concerning the coming of one who would be the Messiah, the savior of all, who would believe who all who would believe in him would be saved uh, unlike the prophecies found in other religious books all those by men such as Nostradamus uh, biblical prophecies are extremely detailed they even talk of events and hours. Sometimes they tell you even the names of the people who will be born and where they will be born and what they will do for God. There are over 300 prophecies concerning Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Not only was it foretold where he would be born and his lineage, but also how he would die and that he would rise up again. There is simply no logical way to explain the fulfilled prophecies in the Bible other 
than by divine origin. There is no other religious book with the extent or type of predictive prophecy that the Bible contains. There is no other. Today, this book has inspired many other books to be written about. This book has been preached thousands of years. Many millions, even to billions, have believed in what was said in it. And today they can call Jesus their savior and they are living and waiting for him to come. So we see divine hand. I would like us to stop right there today. Uh, we have gone halfway the notes that I heard and we will continue next time, Lord willing, because we do not hold the times. God does hold the times. But God willing, on Thursday, we shall pick up from the middle of these notes again and we shall continue. I want to thank you for being together with me this evening. I want us to pray and thank God for what we have just read and we have heard. And I pray that God will give you more trust, more faith in this word. You will look at it in a very special way. You'll accept it as it is and the Lord will do you good. Let us pray. Everlasting Father, King of glory, uh, God our Father and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, this evening we reflect on your word and we thank you for giving us this word, which is a love letter, which is a basic instruction before living earth, which is uh, the will of God for us as human beings. We thank you. We do not take it for granted that we have this word. We glorify you. We exalt you. We lift your name on high. We thank you because the Holy Spirit, whom you use to write this word, dwells in us, with us, around us, anoints us, fills us, and he is all in all in our lives. We thank you for salvation through Jesus Christ, even as you promised in your very word. We thank you for all fulfilled prophecies, because they have given us evidence that you are God and you gave us this word. We believe in your word from cover to cover. And we thank you because we know you have a wonderful plan for our lives. We glorify you. We exalt you. We lift your name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, we glorify you. We exalt you. In Jesus' mighty name, we believe. Amen. I want to thank the people who have been together with me this evening. Uh, let me start again with the ones I had thanked before because ministers of God watching this, I don't take it for granted. There are people who can also teach this word but they choose to be with me. Stephen Timanthi, pastor, I thank you, I honor you, I appreciate your support. Uh, Ken Mogane, I thank you for uh, being with me this evening. God bless you. Uh, Minister of the Gospel, Abednego Mwarandu, I thank you for being with me. I know you are a very good teacher of the word. For you to be with me is an honor. Uh, dear sister, 
Naomi Ben, I thank you for being with me. God bless you. God increase you. God see you through. My sister, uh, Eva Galgalo, we grew up together in the same youth group, the same church, Calvary Worship Center. And the Lord was good to us. We thank God where we are. I see Reverend... Uh, uh, is it Hudson? Oh, Zainabu. Ah, Reverend Zainabu Hussein. I thank God for you. You are a wonderful minister of the gospel. I'm a very good follower of your ministry and what you're doing. I see... Wanda from uh, Eunice. Hey, unique Eunice. Unique Eunice. Thank you for being with me from Great Anction Church. Uh, I thank God for you. May the Lord bless you all. May the Lord increase you. May the Lord visit every person, not just uh, the ones who are with me, in their homes and minister to them specifically at the points of their needs. Whatever they're asking, may the Lord answer. The Lord bless you. The Lord increase you. The Lord do you good. Until we meet again on Thursday, Rev Online will be back. In Jesus' name, amen.